Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this morning. I want to give a thank you to special agent in charge of DEA, Sherry Oz, for taking over the show last week. We listened from Chicago, and it was awesome. She did a great job. On the telephone, we have Hal Kemper. He's going to give us an update on what's going on in Sudan. Hal, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Sherry, can you hear me? No, I can't. How are you? You can't. I'm doing good. I'm screwing you with can't you. hear me at all? I'm screwing with you. Okay. So, <laughs> So what's going well, on over uh, there? Everybody's leaving uh, Sudan. It's uh, It's been interesting. Um, well, last weekend on Saturday night, uh, it was interesting. I did an interview um, on a, a TV interview Saturday, and I said, I think the uh, the uh, preparations or the, the, the plans for uh, evacuating our embassy personnel from Khartoum uh, were much further along than most people realize. Further along than I realized, because that night they launched this uh, special operation. They went in there. They uh, went through Ethiopia. There's a, a Ford refueling point in Ethiopia, and they used uh, Army uh, twin-rotor Chinook helicopters and special operators, which reportedly included SEAL Team 6, to go in there and get a little less than 100 diplomatic personnel most of them U.S. diplomats and their families, although there was a report of other nationals, so I don't know what other countries may have had uh, their their folks uh, out there as well. Countries around the world have been evacuating their diplomatic personnel and other personnel from there. Lots of flights have gone out, uh, lots of overland stuff. And, of course, the big thing that was in the news that we just heard is this huge convoy that went up. Uh, a lot of this is based for the U.S. is out of Djibouti, which is on the Red Sea. And I've been to Djibouti. I may end up going back there again this year. And uh, that's where we have a big military base. So we're getting the Americans out. I'm surprised, you know, uh, like like others, I didn't realize there were 16,000 Americans in Sudan. Wow. That, that's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, and But I was also surprised that not that many wanted to be evacuated despite all the fighting. So that, that's been happening in Sudan. Um, and now in the region, uh, across the board, you know, Syria, you may have heard that uh, we just, uh, the U.S. was saying that the uh, Russian fighters seem to be trying to engage us in a dogfight um, when we do operations over there. So there's a little bit of concern that we could end up having a force-on-forcing between the U.S. and the Russians uh, over there. They've been trying um, to provoke something for a while. Yeah, and they're getting ready. You know, Ukraine is the you know big focus, and Ukraine's getting ready for its big counteroffensive. Uh, a lot of stuff in the Russian info spheres, they like to say, on television stuff, they're worried. They're very worried, and they have every reason to be worried. Uh, the Russian forces have not done well on the ground, and uh, those tanks have been flowing in. 
this week, uh, they, uh, I think it was NATO said uh, to our, uh, no, I'm sorry, European Union said 230 total tanks have flowed into the Ukrainians and over 1,500 armored vehicles. Those Leopard 2 tanks have been flowing in. Those Challenger 2, 14 Challenger 2 tanks from UK have been flowing in. I just saw Spain was sending more Leopard 2 tanks uh, this morning. They're underway, had there. And, uh, and you may have seen Sevastopol, the big Russian Navy base in Crimea. Their oil, the, at, down at the uh, Navy base, the, uh, the uh, 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 fuel depot is on fire. And that was hit with some Ukrainian drones. And the Ukrainians have managed to cross the Dnipro River south of Kirshan. So they're now on the east side. They've got a bridgehead across the river. And that river is a natural defensive barrier that the Russians had set up to stop the Ukrainian advance. Well, now the Ukrainians have advanced past it. And so the Russians are nervous. They should be. Uh, Well, (laughs) The Ukrainians, the Ukrainians have generally fought pretty well, and the Russians have generally fought horrible. Yeah, and uh, you know, but there's a lot of Russians. I mean, you can't. It's not like you can discount them. You know, they're they're big. So, True that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing yeah. us up to date on everything that's going on over there because it's hard to keep track. I get oh, tidbits yeah. of news periodically, and I'm like, what? Wait. <laughs> uh, it it's uh, yeah. I, 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 uh, there's a lot going on worldwide, yeah. and uh, I think I just told you we did that big webinar, and we literally circled the world. <laughs> I'm talking about the natives are around. restless globally. Yes, so yeah. it's yeah. going to be interesting times. Uh, yeah. Enjoy your weekend, Hal. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us. You bet. All right, you too, Sherry. Okay, okay. take care. I'll see you. All right, all right, you too. Okay, in the studio. We have search and rescue, so don't get in trouble in the next hour because they're here with me. <laughs> we have Jason, who operates a drone. We have Mike, who's done a whole bunch, over 900, 900 or over 900? Uh, just over 900. Missions? Yep. And we have Steve, who coordinates everything. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Sherry. How are you? I'm doing just ducky. I want to start with the drone since... Hal was talking about drones. I understand you have a different drone than you did last time? Right. We just got a... This is Jason, by the way. We just got a brand new one called the Mavic 3 Enterprise. And it's now we have... Finally have the capability for, of uh, night vision. So we can start using the drones at night and looking for people with heat signatures and stuff like that. It's pretty exciting. Does this drone have the capability of dropping supplies or medical anything in? No, no. no? Those, it just those tells bi- you where you are. Yeah, tells you where you are, where what we're looking for is. And uh, But those big ones are pretty pricey. How much was it? The, the, oh, the down. one we got? No, no, yeah. no. I mean, the ones that carry stuff can be tens of thousands of dollars. They're, they're big really? ones. Yeah. Wow. How much was the one you got? Uh, a whole bunch. A whole bunch. It was under that. Yeah, yeah. it was under that, but yeah. a whole bunch. Yeah. More than a toy. And Mike, you've you've been doing search and rescue for how long? Um, I'm in my 23rd year. I started in uh, 2000. And what prompted you to get involved with search and rescue? Uh, I came up through the Boy Scouts, and I just knew people that were in it. Something I, I always kind of wanted to do. Uh, just life didn't work. And eventually, at one point life worked and I had the time I had the opportunity and and I just went for it and it's been a great time since 
What do you do in your real real life? What do you do for work? Uh, I own a small business. So you can actually come and go when you need to, uh, sort of. Yeah, yeah, that's a a big plus. Um, obviously, if I'm not working, I'm not making money. But yeah. So, is this like the National Guard? If you get called out, you get to go, or does your employer say, "Uh, uh-uh? uh"? Well, your employer can certainly say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh," but they, uh, I, I think they have ultimate veto power. They can, if you're busy and stuff is going on, it depends on your job. You can't just say, oh, Sarah says I can go, so I can go. You can't do that. It's the middle of a heart surgery. Oh, I got to go. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do in your real life? Uh, I'm an IT architect at the University of Arizona Foundation. So okay. um, mostly big stuff, cloud stuff, data centers, things like that. So I've been doing some form of IT for the last 20 years. And what kind of business do you own? Uh, a small roll-off company, garbage dumpsters. Okay. Yeah, that's important. But you can come and go as you want. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. So tell me about your first call. Oh, that's a good question. My first call. Um, <laughs> your first memorable call. Well, no, my first call was a girl that went missing from Rose Canyon Lake on July 4th of 2000. Oh, wow. Did you find her? Uh, we did. Well, I didn't, but one of our teams did. Search and rescue founder. Yep. And tell me about your funniest call. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That we can say on air. Yeah, I don't know if I have a funniest call. I I have no idea. Do you guys encounter wild animals out out there while you're doing your job? Oh, yeah. Not as much, though. We're very noisy. So animals don't (laughs) want to come. Like, oh, Oh, here they come. We'll see snakes, though. Snakes in the trail all the time care. i think probably the most often is snakes yeah but they really don't want anything to do with us we try to get out of our way so you, you don't have bears and in wild lions and tigers and stuff like that <laughs> no never seen a bear on a call um i saw the tail end of a mountain lion going over a guardrail once and um and that was it yeah wow yeah so you guys are noisy. We are noisy. <laughs> we're noisy. We got radios. They know we're there miles before we before we're there. So they're what gone. was your last call? Yesterday. And what'd you do? Uh, it was a younger girl that I don't know, probably dehydration. I bet you get that a lot. It's a big one in the summertime. Yeah, it's our bread and butter in the summer. So do you guys get paid to do what you do? No. This is all volunteer. All volunteer. All volunteer. The equipment that you need to do your job, do you have to pay for that too? Or does that get supplied? Most of what we have is our own equipment. And uh, you've got to, you, you cure, uh, you, you uh, accumulate lots over lots of years. But uh, the, we do have ropes in the trucks. We do have stokes and things like that the things that stokes? we need is, what's that uh think of it as a stretcher with one wheel so we can carry somebody if they can't walk okay. down a trail and it's on one wheel so it can pivot nicely around cactus and things like that but that's the kind of stuff that's supplied for us but our personal gear backpack and all the um, did you have to pay for the drone uh not, not not this new one but for my personal one i did yeah yeah the first one you guys were using correct yeah so have you used the new one since you've got had it? Uh, only for training, not in a mission yet. We only got it recently. 
So, so somebody needs to have a problem at night so you can see if it works? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to have a problem at night, I guarantee I it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's only 8 a.m. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. It always does. So what if you're out and about from all your experience, all your rescue missions and everything, what do you tell visitors coming to Tucson? Um... Probably, I think the biggest misconception is the animals. Um, you see yeah, a lot surprise. on, like, you know, message boards or um, forums, whatever. You know, what are the animals out there? Most likely, you're never going to see one. I, we've never had, like, an animal bite, or I don't think I've ever, in 23 years, seen somebody with a snake bite. It just doesn't happen. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's probably one of the biggest ones, misconceptions. And then the other thing is, is uh, the heat's just different here. And um, we get a lot of people that come in from out of town, especially, you know, this time of year where it's starting to get hot. Um, you know, they look at the temperature and they're like, oh, it's only 90, but it's, you know, a different <laughs> 90 than where you're from. And um, yeah, that's a good point. It's it's a dry, you know, we joke, it's a dry heat, but it, it you, you don't realize how much water is being sucked out of you just by being outside. and breathing and you just you need a lot more water here you stay for a couple weeks your skin dries out you know anybody visits from the midwest and i think another thing that we have issues with is people look at a trail and you look at a flat map and oh three miles but you don't realize it's three miles and you're going up two thousand feet during three miles so we get there's a lot of you know the trails here are very rocky very rugged and three miles doesn't equal three miles in iowa for example now, I think people, you know, you're training and you're running and you're doing your thing, but when you come out here, it's a whole different ball game. It's a different type of training. Yeah. And you, you're not acclimated to it. Yeah, the acclimation is the big thing. So, how much training do you do? Oh, I'm a bad example. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I try to uh, meet a buddy at the gym a couple times a week uh, for you know cardio workout, um, and then otherwise it's just being active on like call outs and my job's pretty active. So, and what is your job? Uh, the roll off containers for the search oh, and rescue. No. No. Uh, search and rescue, we, we don't really have, like, assigned jobs. Okay. So, um, you know, we'll be sitting, eating dinner with our family or something, and the phone goes off that there's um, a mission, you know, seven falls, somebody's, you know, fallen, broke their ankle or something. And everybody that's in the group gets that message, and the people that can respond, respond. And then, you know, people's jobs just kind of become when they show up and where they show up and what needs to be done at that point. And so we're all kind of interchangeable. So you do a lot of cross training. Um, I just, uh, yeah, well, I would say I just do more cardio and then, uh, just in the field, uh, you know, no, we, we I'm, I'm referring to, you know, being able to work the groups? stretcher, work oh. a drone. Oh. Do you yeah. know how to fly a drone? No, no. Is that your job? Uh, it's one of them. Yeah. There's a lot of, but, in terms of cross-training with other groups and training in general, right. we do a lot of training. I did the math once, and it was something like a, an 8 to 1 ratio on average. People do about 8 hours of training per 1 hour of field time. So we're doing tons and tons of stuff. We're practicing medical. We're practicing ropes. We're practicing 
some of us practice the drone, some of us practice... Like when you say practice ropes, what are you, what are you doing? Tying knots or... Right, sometimes telling? it's tying knots. Doing? No, we've got a technical rope team that uh, practices high angle stuff that's very, very proficient in that. And let's say there was a call that required something like that. We would maybe specifically say, hey, this looks like uh, we might need to do a pickoff on the side of a rock. So let's get some people who are very competent with those ropes and... It, it, there's specialties, I should say, but right. really, once you get into the field, it, it's there's there's a million different roles you could be playing. You don't know what you're doing until you get there, and that's part of the excitement is the the fact that it's it's always different, and I really like that. What got you involved? Uh, well, I was actually on a rescue from the other end. I uh, a buddy and I were out hiking, and we found two women who were lost and screaming for help, dead cell phone. And we helped them out. And we had tons of extra water because that's just what you do in Arizona. And we got them down to cell service, called Sarah. Sarah came up, and uh, it happened to be during a recruiting cycle, and it was the recruiting director or the, the recruiting committee head. He said, you did everything right. You should sign up. And I'm like, neat. All right, I did. So I filled out the thing, and I talked to my family, and I got their support. And uh, that's, that's how I got involved. I really enjoy it. Tell people what Sarah means. Southern Arizona Rescue Association. Yeah, because they're, they're envisioning some female going up there to do. You know, well, you've got two <laughs> two strong guys up there helping, and you had to call oh, Sarah. Yeah, my, you know, it's even more confusing. Is at home, my daughter's name is Sarah, so I have to tell my wife I'm going to to search and rescue. I can't say Sarah, Sarah. anymore because the <laughs> grammar just gets confusing. What does your daughter think about you being on search and rescue? Uh, they love it. And as far as they understand, they're eight and six. I've got two daughters. Okay. Um, they they don't know what I do during the day because they're in school and what I do might as well be nothing. But they understand that this is my job in the evenings and the weekends because this is why I would leave the house. Yeah. So it's really neat. They they think it's great. They've been to meetings. They think what I'm doing is great. It's fantastic. And and without that support from your family, honestly, this yeah. I'm nothing. My my wife and my kids support me fully, and being able to go out and have them go, Daddy's home, you know, it's fantastic. That's So do you explain to your girls what kind of rescues that you go on? Do you tell them, give them the story? Yeah, uh, I, I give them the story, and sometimes I have to soften it up. I don't want them to be, you know, sometimes it can be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there can be a recovery or something like that. But but I'll tell them what's wrong, and sometimes they'll say, oh, no, there's a, there's somebody up there with a, with a hurt leg, and I need to go. I'm not going to be able to play tonight or help you with your homework tonight. I need to actually leave, and they, they support that. And so does my wife. So without that family support honestly it's uh, for volunteer work yeah, you, i couldn't do it yeah it's it's a lot you guys volunteer a lot yeah and the terrible times own, too <laughs> i know and volunteering your time and in and like you said accumulating all the type of equipment that you need over a course of time you're you've keep buying and replacing and, and doing your own thing it's quite a commitment what if somebody is listening out there and go gee i can do that who would they talk to uh well i would send them to the website first but they could email us at uh can i give an email address yeah, yeah give me your cell number too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five 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 no uh sarah join at sarci.org s-a-r-c-i.org or you can go to sarci.org forward slash sarah and there's a there's a join now, or I think it says join now or join us. There's a big link up at the top because we are in a recruiting cycle right now. 
And, and Sarah is S-A-R-A. S-A-R-A, no H. Okay. Yeah. Everybody should be checking it out because there's so much that can... What kind of people are you looking for? Uh, Give them an idea. I think, honestly, more than anything else, we do need people who are fit that can go in the field, but people that you can work with. Well, when uh, you say field, you're talking climbing mountains. Well, hiking a lot, but uh, I think that the, the attitude somebody brings is even more important because yeah. uh, you really find out what somebody's made of at three in the morning. You know, you don't, we don't go out. I, I was thinking about this on my way here. We don't go out on a happy Saturday morning after a big meal and, you know, a lot of rest. We go out after work at 7 p.m. after, you know, a rough day at the office and you're never at 100 percent. And then you may be out overnight. You may be late into work tomorrow. So it, mentally, you got to have the mental game there. And people need to be ready for that and easy to work with at those times. So if you get to that three and the four in the morning and you start talking and you can actually still tell jokes and actually get out of there alive instead of, oh, I hate this. This is awful. You have to embrace it because <laughs> it's hard. Awful. It's really hard. Training Do you ever is get one called thing. in the middle of the night? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what kind of people are in trouble in the middle of the night? <laughs> All sorts. <laughs> well, people that got in trouble like earlier in the day and they just waited until the middle of the night to call to for call. help. To yeah. call, yeah. yeah. And that's what we tell people, you know, it, when you get in trouble, call us. You know, we'd rather know sooner rather than later because then we get to go out at 7 o'clock at night instead of <laughs> 2 in the morning. Instead of 2 in the morning. <laughs> um, but it's, the other thing that's pretty important for people looking to join is do they have the availability to go out you know, if your life is run by your calendar, you're probably not going to be successful because yeah. nothing we do, you know, is calendared. It, is calendared. <laughs> this it's, isn't nine to just, five. <laughs> it just happens when it happens, and you know, the most successful people are the ones that are able to, you know, just be able to go at, at a moment and be notice. a team player. Yeah, right. You have to yeah. be a team player. Yep, that's so important when you're. You know, you're working with a group of people like this and you're in situations like you're in. Do you guys get in the helicopter when you have to? Is that part of your... Not as often, but we certainly do. Uh, Mike can speak to that certainly more than I can. Um, it's become something that we use more and more. And, um, yeah, okay, I, I think a lot of people, you know, see it and like, oh, you know, I'll get to fly around in a helicopter and do something. It's something we seldom do. Um but occasionally it's something that, you know, it's is a resource that gets, you know, brought in and used and and uh, we're very appreciative when it when it happens. I, I can tell you that I've got, you know, a little over 100 calls under my belt and I've only been in the helicopter once. So. Bummer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was pretty fun, but yeah. I got to fly with him with him, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You got to fly with him what? And it's one time I got to fly yeah. alongside him. So oh, we were okay. up. <laughs> And what were you doing in the helicopter that you needed the helicopter? What uh, was the mission? The mission was somebody was missing uh, up on Rincon Peak. Um, so the mountains east of Tucson. Okay. Um, in the very top. And so the easiest thing was is to, to take a couple teams and drop them in at the top up there instead of spending half a Drop them in his Gingerly put him on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Shove him out the door. <laughs> well, we did have teams coming up from the bottom, and then the idea was to also <laughs> drop a couple teams at the top and start going down, because there's so many twisting trails up there. It's a lot of ground to cover. And what? if we were just starting from the bottom, I mean, you could spend, you know, I don't even know, eight hours going to the top. 
you know, hiking to the top. So it was, you know, a time saver. That was easier, yeah. To get some people up top and start working down. Yeah. So you, who plans out all these missions? The guys in the white shirt. The guys in the white shirt. So, Steve, you plan out these missions? We take the information that's received, and then we'll make a plan, and then we'll um, allocate resources as necessary, yes. Allocate <laughs> resources is so professional. That's a clinical answer for you. <laughs> you make me laugh. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a few. <laughs> Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You're not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. Sarsi is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarsi.org. That's S-A-R-C-I.org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. This is Nathan Chabin, producer for Law Matters. I have a goal to reach, and I need your help. I want to put the DEA out of business. That's right, the Drug Enforcement Agency. If you have an addiction problem or know someone who does, please reach out to lawmatters1030.org and click the DEA tab for more information. Reaching out is the first step. We have the resources if you have the will. You can beat this demon and help me put the Drug Enforcement Agency out of business. Law Matters Live Show opens lines of communication between you and law enforcement. Next week, we will hear from Southern Arizona Against Slavery. Yes, it is still happening. Law Matters is asking you to help sponsor our mission by contributing on lawmatters1030.org. Every dollar counts, and together we can back the blue while we keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Thanks for staying with us in the studio. We have Search and Rescue. We have Mike, Jason, and Steve here, and they're telling us all about what's going on on the mountains because that's where most of your rescues are, isn't it? It is, yeah. Okay. I'm reading notes, and it says something about a new truck. You have a new truck? Not a new truck. Uh, they got some uh, new stickers and new paint jobs, so they. I just wanted to mention that they look... Sharp. Re- refurbished. Refurbed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Banged all the dents out and put some nice new stickers on the side. <laughs> Got rid of the desert pinstriping. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so is everybody uh, an emergency medical person? or? Yeah, the baseline is an EMR, emergency medical responder, which is kind of like a step below EMT. But that's, our, that's the baseline to be a rescuer and to get out in the field. And, and uh, Are any of do. you EMTs? I am not, no. I'm not. I am. <laughs> Steve's special. Steve, he is special. <laughs> very. very. <laughs> so you use your personal cars to do a lot of things, yeah. right? Yep. 
Do you get to have lights and sirens and stickers on your cars, your personal cars? Not. No? We, we, we do have a sticker that suggests that we are on the mountain rescue team. So if we're parking in an area that maybe we shouldn't be, like near a trailhead, um, that's for... Or downtown Tucson? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't do any good down yes. there. It doesn't work there, but yeah. it may, we might be parking in you know a neighborhood uh, that I don't know requires yeah, parking for, passes or something. Yeah. But it, it, it then, then at least these guys can go down and go. Yep, yep, yep. These are Sarah guys, so I don't need to. You don't them. have to worry about it. <laughs> we don't have to worry about it. Have them towed towed your car away. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> that would be funny. I'm sorry. So tell me about your training. Continued training. You talk about, and I know each element has their own. Like, the dogs have to be trained constantly. How many dogs do you have now? That's a good question. I don't know. Oh. Well, I'll have to get an updated list for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't keep up to date with the, the dog or the mounted team or anything like that, but we do cross-train with them when we can, and it's always valuable to understand the other teams that are in the field. When would you use horses as opposed to, you know, the helicopter going down? When do you use horses? Well, we, we don't control the helicopters, so the horses are a good alternative when we have somebody who has like a lower extremity uh, injury or something like that, and we can actually trust to put them on a horse, and they're not going to fall over. Or freak out. Or freak out, and the horses are available, and it's a trail the horses can do. Uh, the horses can also bring us in a lot of water. They can carry a lot more than any human can, so that can help out when it's really hot, and we just need some cold beverages. So, like pack meals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, how many horses do you have? A lot. Okay, we did Listen have to- <laughs> we did have some cross training with our horses really two recently, weeks, two weeks ago. Yeah, so we had all of our new we call them yellow shirts when they're not fully qualified yet, and orange shirts out in an arena showing how to uh, load a patient on a horse, take a patient off horse, and fire will engage in that training with us as well because fire can go on trail with us at times also. Don't the horses have to be like calm around lights, flashing lights and sirens and stuff like that too? Isn't that Well, we don't have like, a lot of flashing lights and sirens out in the field where we're at, but um whenever we have a call for service and we think that the horses are going to be a good fit, we'll call and we'll ask the horse team themselves if one the trail can accommodate the horse and if they have the ability to do what we need them to do. They they're they're in charge of their animal, just like the helicopter pilot's in charge of his helicopter. And the drone's in charge of his drone. There you go. You're following. Hey, yeah. I'm taking notes. Too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell me about this new drone. I, You know, I don't know a ton about it, except that it has night vision. I'm very excited about giving it a try. How long have you had it? Uh, about a month or two. I just haven't had the opportunity to fly it yet. So we did have a training with it, but uh, I ended up being in the field and not with the the pilot, so I didn't get a chance to play with it myself. So would you, Mike? Would you go hide someplace in the dark so he can go find you? Is that <laughs> that's that's how the training worked? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's what we did. Do you ever get people dark. call in and say I'm lost? My latitude and longitude is this and this. So. Um, In the past, and honestly, kind of before cell phones, um, we would get a lot of people that were like, they just didn't show up after a thing, after going for a hike. And so they were truly lost, and we had no idea where they were at. Nowadays, with cell phones, we get a pretty good idea of where they're at uh, because they call in themselves. Um, And then we also have a member of our group that wrote a program 
and uh, as part of that, it's what we call a find me link. So the deputies can send the person a link, a, a text message, and the person responds to it, and it pulls the self or the GPS coordinates out of their phones and sends it back. Uh, and a text message to the deputies. And so we know like exactly almost where they're at. So a lot of it's become like a retrieval. I remember you did, you talked to me about a, a rescue you did where you sent that and you knew where the person was, but they didn't stay there. They left. Instead oh. of staying put, they left. <laughs> so you go to the spot and they're not there. So if you get lost, you need to call search and rescue. Stay put. Yeah, I think that's one of the first things you tell them, too, yeah, right? Yeah, we, we give them that instruction. <laughs> hey, we've got somebody coming to you. If you're mobile, we're not going to know where you're at. It changes everything. Yeah, it's, this is this is not a scavenger hunt. No, exactly. <laughs> so, okay. You said something about you have people on bicycles? No. No? Not what, yet. What's happening in Flagstaff? Not yet. No. All right. Let me clarify that. Our volunteers not only work here in in, uh, in Pima County, but they'll go to other counties to work as well. So a uh, big thing that our volunteers do, and they'll assist with um, first aid and medical would be at different bike races. Like they go to Willow Canyon. They're currently up at Whiskey Row in Prescott for a big bike race up there. So we have a lot of people out of town currently that are supporting that event. Oh, that's pretty cool. Do you guys do the 24 hours in the old Pueblo? Yeah, that 24-hour race. Do you, yeah. do you actually do the race, or do you are you there for first aid? Uh, we would be there for first aid. I, I haven't done it myself yet, but uh, it's interesting because I did used to race bicycles myself, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in two different levels of going. Of going over yeah, there? Yeah. Yeah, I volunteered there one year. It was really... <laughs> well, some of the experience. best training they get is when they're dealing to those... Um, accidents on the bicycles because they'll have hands-on experience that it might take years to get just responding to the field so do you find that the people you're rescuing are they native to arizona or are they typically visitors Ooh, um there's just go ahead i'd say most of them are here um people who should know better <laughs> i i i never really thought of them that way because <laughs> I mean, people go for a hike and, you know, I had a lady just step off like a water bar on a trail and just blew her ankle out. Ouch. And it's kind of like, well, you know, what do you do about that? I mean, it's yeah. just something that happens. So a lot of times, you know, it's just circumstances. Something happens. You know, bad things happen. All the time. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, most of it is just people here, uh, but occasionally we get people from out of state, and it's kind of interesting because most of the people out of state, to me, it seems they came from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, we're not talking to you anymore. <laughs> Turn off his mic. <laughs> well, it, it really is. They they come down here, and those are, like in the summertime, the, the heat exhaustion. It's like, where well, are you from? Oh, Chicago. Oh. Yeah, they don't, they don't realize how devastating the heat can be here it could be 80 degrees and feel like 100 degrees when your place you're from a place like chicago yeah it's just a different environment so yeah we don't you know the people we're rescuing they're just providing an opportunity for us to go out and do what we do and we're thankful for that (laughs) thank you for getting lost (laughs) (laughs) or being injured okay 
You have orientation is coming up on June thirteenth. The first of two, yeah. Uh, if so, tell me what what is the orientation about? Let's go through it. Uh, so, so there are two of them. You need to you need to attend one of the two if you're interested in applying for the team. Uh, the second one is sometime in July. I think July sixth. Yeah. So uh, that is. Uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's uh, trying to scare you out of it. It's trying to find, it's trying to tell people exactly what we're doing. It, we're not a hiking club. We're not just hanging out to have fun. This is not a hobby. This, to be successful, it's a lifestyle change. And we want to communicate to everybody what we do, um, the training that we go through, how much training it takes, how many years it takes to get to be a rescuer and to go out in the field and do things competently. Um, so it might sound really cool, like, yeah, let's go out there and use all my gear. But like I said, you're going to be doing it at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 3 in the morning. Um, you need to be ready for that. So what we want to do is we want to get everybody who's interested and be as honest as possible. Because if this is not your thing, well, maybe next year or maybe another time. But right now we want to teach you what we do. And uh, for you to not be like, oh, nobody told me this. And then you get in the field and, and it's way different than the pretty picture that we painted. We don't want that. Yeah. And it's not like you're out there in a beautiful weather. Sometimes it snows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I, we, I, somebody told me when I started, you get to see the best parts of the Catalinas at night. So we see so we go on so many trails that I have never seen. I, it's always in the dark. So. So you've you've still not seen them. There's a lot of trails I really have never hiked in during the day. <laughs> don't don't they have night vision something rather you can just wear over your eyes? I can't afford that. No. No. <laughs> Steve, can you get it for him? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, look, I'll look into that. But I do, I do want to not brush over this. We did have some of the most challenging winter rescues this year. Yes. Um, yep which due to the the snow and the ice on the mountain and uh, our volunteers were absolutely fantastic in getting the job done what happened Thank tell you. us what happened so um recently they've been on the the lower half of the butterfly trail and um there's a section of the trail there they got a lot of or there's been a lot of snow this year and uh, this particular section has gotten very icy and so the trail doesn't exist and it's very steep and uh, people have been hiking the trail and they get to that point or they get into it and uh, they're sliding down the hill and uh, they can't get across it and so then we get the call what was it about two weeks ago we had a call out there the lady went off the trail Uh, they got her back up she was hypothermic Um, because of the conditions we spent the night out there with her and uh, it was a long night. I think it was, uh, I don't know, I think it was in the teens. And there was, the wind was getting up, gusts were to 90 miles an hour. Oh, my God. That's so, yeah, I remember that. It yeah. was, you know, freezing cold. And we had a group of people out there all night long with her. And uh, luckily in the morning, we were able to get a helicopter to come out and hoist her out. And then we still had a ton of people and a ton of gear in there. So we had people come out in the morning and help everybody get out. Yeah, it was one of those double calls where we had to actually call in for backup. There was so much stuff that went in and so much work that had to be done that a separate page went out the next morning at 4 in the morning or something like that saying, if you can get here to this trailhead, we need more help. Wow. And those are the calls that happen that, that these guys are accustomed to. 
but they don't make it in the news. You don't you don't see it in the media. Um, it was too treacherous to take a helicopter in early in the day because of the winds and had to wait overnight for it to to be a practical solution to the problem. Do you take those hand warmer things, those stuff like that with you? Yeah, but you know, it's so windy that it doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. We did our best with the fire. We did our best with everything we ca- had, but it was it was it was rough. It was what a tough about, one. What about the emotions for you guys with the helicopter the next morning? The fact that it was able to come in with those winds that we got a Blackhawk that was it was it was amazing because otherwise it would have been a maybe a full day long Stokes out. You know, I talked about the Stokes, the stretcher thing. It, we would have had to go in the opposite direction, multiple miles with this woman. Um, it was, it was. What was her injury? Uh, hypothermia. She was very, very cold. Well, the other part it, that was the injury, but just the ice and not being able, able to maneuver. maneuver. Yeah, they just couldn't get out. Yeah, we went through. I mean, it, it was. I'm not joking. Forty five degree, just pure ice. People slipping. It was. It was bad. We, we're talking snowshoes and crampons to be able to navigate in the ice and be able to walk without falling yourself. Yeah. Do you have those things? Everybody's got them. Everybody yeah. has them? Yeah. That doesn't sound like fun. It's a weird thing to own in Tucson, too. People yeah. see snowshoes and crampons hanging on your wall, and you're like, what, what do you do? And I'm like, believe it or not, 12 <laughs> miles from here that you actually need this. Yeah, it, It's not a lot of fun in the middle of it, but afterwards it's like, wow, that was that was a good time. You know? <laughs> it's a pretty wild We call. were like living the dream. And you know, I, we, we should point out too, this was a Monday night, Monday going into Tuesday. So everybody who went in thought that this is what I'm talking about, who thought this was going to be a short call, ended up calling in late to work or didn't go to work the next day. And I didn't get home till about 2 p.m. Wow. I, I went in the field, I think, at maybe 8 or 9 p.m., and I didn't get home till around 2 p.m. the next day. So, And, and it was a work-slash-school day for my kids. And that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of character we need for people to come in, to be able to handle that in their personal lives. What did your boss and, say? Oh, I lied to her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Uh, she, she, was, she was good with it. I've, I've been with the group long enough, and they, I, they understand what I need, and very rarely I'll take a vacation day like that. I just put it in as vacation time, and they appreciate that. I've got a wonderful team I work with, too, so they're awesome people. How many people are with Search and Rescue right now? Oh, man. Well, total, about 200, but if you narrow that down to field-qualified folk, there's about... 30, I think about 30 rescuers and about 30 candidates. So there's about 60 people right now, is a rough number, it fluctuates depending on certifications, that can go into the field on a call at, at this moment. Okay, you're saying certifications. What things do people need to get certified with to go Oof. on a call? To, so they're going to be one of the people that you call if something happens. So most of those it is basically all internal stuff. So when we go through the candidate process, there's a state requirement that they have to have certain trainings, and that's kind of put on with the Sheriff's Department and us together. So that's kind of one of them, and it's um, uh, Arizona Basic SAR. And then um, we have medical requirements. So um, most of the time, people take our class. We put on the emergency medical responders. I think there's only like three people in the state that can teach that class, and we're one of them. Um, cool. And then we also do yeah. a um, the technical rope skills. It is again, it's an internal class that we put together, and then there's just a bunch of other trainings that we put on that are kind of SAR specific, 
and um, and non-SAR specific bloodborne pathogens, CPR, things like that that are pretty typical for first responders. But yeah, there's there's and depending on what you want to do too, there's a whole there's other qualifications. I want to fly a drone. I need to get that pilot certificate. You want to be you uh, have it though, right? I do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just renewed it. Um, but yeah, it all depends on what you want to do. But there are baselines of what you need to be out in the field and what we call field qualified. And again, Sarah puts on basically all of those trainings. So it's not something you have to go out and get someplace else. It's being, Is there a fee for taking no. those trainings? Th- there uh, might be for the National Registry stuff. Because, yeah, there might be some for the medical stuff. But, but, but we don't charge for the classes. So if you're in if you're in the class and if you made it to candidacy... That, that part of it. It's, it's covered. And also by volunteers. These are people volunteering their time to teach and to do all the training and to do everything like that. It's all volunteers. So, you know, people say, oh, why can't I make it up? And it's, well, this person took three days off of their work to teach it at this time. You can't do it another time. That kind yeah. of stuff hard. is hard. That's Yeah, you have to be available. Yeah. You have to be wanting, willing to take these classes. Availability is a big thing. Yeah, and it's a huge requirement. So, what are some of the jobs other people have? You own your own business. You're an IT person. We've what, got. Lawyers. Seems like there's a lot of IT people. Yeah, there's a lot of us nerds there. <laughs> there's a lot of that, um, um, but it's humbling too because so, we have a lot of really, really smart people and uh, yes, doctors, yeah. lawyers, rocket scientists, engineers. Yeah, yep, covers the all the spectrum. spectrum. Yep, absolutely. That's interesting. It is pretty neat too because when you're problem solving in the field, you're not problem solving as all this same brain. You you've got different people thinking from different bringing diversity to y- the table. Exactly, yeah. it's it's mental diversity that we have to solve problems, and that's really cool and it's really refreshing too. Because I've got my mindset, I've got my cold logic, but we might have somebody out here who's a teacher who's a little bit more caring and friendly and, <laughs> than well, you than me. <laughs> well, what's important with that too? When we debrief a call after every mission, we share those ideas and that's where the learning process continues what can we do better what did we do wrong what you know where can we make adjustments and everybody's open to that which is really good yeah Yeah. you need to be because every situation is different everyone yep yeah, I, I, I'd almost say after every call I think everybody you know if you're open you're going to learn something new and uh you know, after 23 years, I, I'm always learning something new and something It's like doing this show. I learn something new every week. Yeah. yeah. It's, wow, well, I, I didn't know you did that. <laughs> and I think that is one of the interesting things about the group is, you know, you are continually learning and new processes and, you know, we change things, how we do things because of new equipment that comes out or new thoughts on medical procedures or whatever. Yeah, medical procedures, that's a big one. Yeah. The CPR thing, you don't have to do mouth-to-mouth anymore. You just... Right, right. God, oof. (laughs) (laughs) It makes it a lot easier. So do you have to get certified with CPR? Is that something you do every year? Uh, It's um, been a while since I... It's every two years. Yeah, it's every two years, yeah, yeah. I think... Well, I I think it depends on whose certification you get, but it's between one and two years. And we do that in-house, too. We have a couple of teachers. Uh, we just got two new ones. Uh, we have a couple of teachers who can, or are certified. search and rescue members who are certified to teach. Do they teach at the firehouse? No, they I, teach I at had, our training house. I had um, the chief from the Tucson Fire Department on. He said they have a in-house program that you yep. can go take. That's ours. The same thing for us. It is? Yeah. Okay. How long is that training? Uh, four, three, 
two, three, three four, four hours? hours? I don't Something know. Like that? It feels like a hundred. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it depends on who's cage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's one you take it in the evening. And the nice thing about what we do is we cater it around people who have jobs. So most of the training that we do may start at six PM or on a weekend because nobody can make a three PM thing because they're typically at work. At work. So it, it's excellent. They they take care of everything. So you said you have a doctor on search and rescue? We actually had a doctor in the field on that call yesterday. One of our members, not employed by the group, but one of the members, and the skills were used in the field. Yeah. She's also on the medical director for our group. That's awesome. Yeah. What's her name? I don't know. Can we say? I don't know. Can you? I don't know. She's asking you. <laughs> What's her name? Uh, Dr. Baker. Dr. Baker. She's excellent. And and, and you know what? To be fair, she's going through the same candidacy program as everybody else. So even though she's a director, she's still what we call a yellow shirt and working her way through the whole program and everything else. Obviously, medically, she's far above everybody (laughs) Everybody. else. But she's still got to go through the hours and the work and the training that, that, uh, you know, whoever's listening to this call right now and wants to be the next, she's going to go through She's going through the same thing you would go through. Well, I appreciate that because, you know, I'm a certified closing agent and I'll go to a an attorney's house and they'll go okay i don't know anything about this it's not my field Mm -hmm. you know this is your field tell me what i'm doing yeah and i appreciate that rather than having somebody act like they know it all right when they don't that's good too because we get her and she she knows it all supposedly with medical but we may know xyz better than she does just because of our experience so exactly so You've got 100 calls or missions? More, more than that now, but I don't really know. Probably 105 or so now. <laughs> Does somebody keep track of all this? Uh, there's a database out there that's uh, been kept since 1978. And yeah. before that, nobody cared? Uh, yeah, before... So we, we were founded <laughs> in 1958. So between 58 and 78, there wasn't anything that like kept track of. Um, oh, that's that too stuff. bad. Yeah, they probably didn't think it was necessary. But it is. Yeah, I have heard that uh, they've gone through some really old newsletters and tried to plug some best they could data in there. Put Um, some stuff in. Yeah, we have a one guy who's fantastic about finding old info. So it's an effort. A historian. Yeah, he is. He is history himself. But he's he's a wonderful guy. Oh, I don't want to say that. No, he just (laughs) he's he's like the records king. He just sees everything, enters everything. It's it's awesome. So shout out to Michael. That's his job. Yeah. Michael? Michael. Michael. Okay. Do, have I met Michael? I've met him a couple times. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I can't keep track. <laughs> I remember you, though. You were sitting over here and we were talking about the drone. That's right, yeah. I was He's now that. the president of the organization. I don't know if that He's was He's just moving clear. up in the world. You're moving on up. So how come you're the president? What happened that, you know, first I, they go, okay, <laughs> Come on, join the team. And now you're in charge. I drew the shortest straw. (laughs) No, I I kid. We uh, we recently had our board elections, and and what we do is we have nine board members. Well, eight, but plus president. And we swap out four and five every year. And in the most recent, after the most recent elections, we kind of assign roles. And within that meeting, we talked about it. And I said that I was interested in taking the role. And if I had the support of the team, and I had talked to a few people about it beforehand, uh, I would love to take it. And they supported me, and that's why I'm here. So we can blame you for everything. Absolutely, yeah. It's that's, not. It's all liability is what it is. It's, it's all <laughs> liability. Okay, tell people again where they can go to get information about 
your organization and how they can apply? Uh, sarci.org forward slash Sarah. And I'll spell that S-A-R-C-I dot org forward slash S-A-R-A. You can go there. You can join us. You can get PIO stuff, uh, public information stuff is what I mean by that. And there's a bunch of pictures at the bottom of the page, too. Are you in any of those pictures? I don't know. You, <laughs> you haven't looked? I haven't looked. The problem you, is so many of the pictures are taken at night, you wouldn't know anyway. Yeah, those silhouettes are. <laughs> so have you looked at the pictures, Mike? Uh, no. Not recently. Okay. <laughs> Nobody cares. I think once you were there, you know, it's... Yeah, the pictures are just yeah, documentary. So they can go online and apply online. This isn't like a paper application type thing. Correct. We modernized that. It used to be a little bit more laborious. Now it's a form. You fill out a form. And actually, I blanketed a lot of these uh, QR codes around town. You can scan with your cell phone or pull a form up. You type your info in, and we will send you a PDF automatically to tell you what's going on. And no, you don't get on a junk mail mail list. We're not selling your information. It's It's legit. I promise. Even if the price is right, you're not well, going to sell. Well, I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> we don't even have a database to sell, so yeah. You don't? Not of people that are applying, no. Oh, okay. And out of all the people that are applying, how many actually make the cut? Wow. Uh, let's say we get about 200 that of people who are interested. Maybe 150 will go to the orientation. We'll invite. I don't know how many of that will apply. Maybe let's say 70. We can invite about 30 of them to an interview hike. That might turn into a 20-person class, and a 20-person class, usually the whole class is going to graduate, finish basic training, which takes about three months, but then you've got three years to go through your rescuer training, and that can turn into maybe a half dozen to even less than that. I mean, it's hard, so you're talking about a lot of people going, whoa, I can't do this, and, and, and leave it. It's a long so time. So this isn't called Jason for a good time. This is called Jason, and we're going to put you through the ropes. For a bad time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> so if anybody's interested, that's sarci, S-A-R-C-I dot org, forward slash Sarah, S-A-R-A, and you can, f- there's a lot of information, I'm sure, on the website. Right. The first orientation is June 13th. The second one is July 6th, if you're interested. And it starts at 7 at night, 7 to 9. Right, right. Okay. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming in and explaining everything to us. I've learned stuff today. Learned stuff from you, Mike. And I (laughs) hope it was good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) next week we're going to have... I can't remember her name. Sarah's coming on. Sarah's coming. Oh, wow. (laughs) And we're going to talk about slavery in Tucson. And until then, shop local, stay safe, and thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. You guys are awesome. live show opens lines of communication between you and law enforcement next week we will hear from southern arizona against slavery yes it is still happening 
Law Matters is asking you to help sponsor our mission by contributing on lawmatters1030.org. Every dollar counts, and together we can back the blue while we keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org.